We were here last week. I was talking up my message for this week. I really talked it up. Now, I'm not one to talk things up. I'm usually very understated. Uh, but I said something along the lines of, this is going to be life-changing, uh, the greatest sermon ever preached in the English language or any other language for that matter. Um, it's, I may have overstated it, but anyway, well, you can let me know at the end. Right? I'm happy to take feedback at the end of the service. Positive, sorry, positive feedback uh, at the end of the service. And uh, But I really do think, that when we open up the Word of God and we read it and we can identify something in it, that, well, okay, that's cool. That's something I can take out of the Word of God and apply into my life, right? Some of the things in the Bible are really easy, like, you know, uh, don't murder. You can just apply that into your life nice and easily, right? Just put that on the list of don't do things, right? Don't murder, okay? You're going to have to come up with some other solution to your traffic problems. Murder is not the one, right? Some other parts of the Bible are, are, are more important uh, and, and, and are more about the story of the Bible and the shape of the Bible. Even don't murder, it's not really about just don't kill someone. It's about, hey, there's value in people. There's value in others, right? Uh, and that should shape us. Um, and that's what I want to talk about today is, and I've titled the sermon, Open Shut Them. And it's a revolution in your mouth. Now, I want to tell you this. Uh, when it comes to managing how one talks, I am an expert. I'm an expert and not really knowing how to do it, right? Uh, if, 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 if I was to identify my single biggest challenge is how, how much my mouth would talk without any engagement from my frontal lobe, right? I think my forehead is perhaps too far away from my tongue. There's a distance problem. There's a gap in the middle. Uh, there's probably psychologists in the room who could diagnose my problem, but it's probably just that I talk too much, right? But uh, I've got a song that we could start with. How many people reckon we could start with a song? I, was, I think Harris is in the kids' program. Otherwise, Harris could lead us in the song. How many people remember this one? Oh, someone knows it over this side. Okay, you're listening along. Open, shut, open. I think Tina's going. Are your hands trying to get into your mouth all the time? Do you find that? Like, do you find, like, I have to be careful about having my mouth open because my hands, my hands keep going in. It's not my hands, it's my feet that keep doing that, right? But the reality is, I think this is a song maybe written for by uh, early childhood teachers to prevent the spread of worms in the center, right? Like, let's keep our, let's keep our scratchy fingers out of our mouths, right? Is that gross? Okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that as feedback. I'll take that out of the next time I bring this message. I won't mention the worms. I think that's probably what it's about. But I reckon when it comes to our mouth, there's a time to open our mouth, where it really is time to say something. And I think all of us are guilty at times of keeping our mouth shut when we should have it open, right? And all of us are guilty at the same time of keeping our mouth open when we should have it shut. There's a time to open our mouth and say the right thing at the right time, to say a challenging thing to a friend or a neighbor at the right time, to invite someone into a different space of life. And there's a time to shut our mouth in terms of criticism, in terms of our own opinions, right? 
And how many people know this? It's really easy when you're observing someone else. It's very, very easy to see, okay, that was a moment where Rachel should have shut her mouth, right? And then you can, then you can, and then at the same time you can observe somebody else, oh, that was a moment where someone, that person should have said something, right? Uh, but when you're in your own space, often you're just opening and shutting your mouth almost at random, right? And things fall out seemingly unintended, but often there's consequences, always there's consequences to how we talk, right? How many of you have heard the story of that if you want your pot plants to grow, you need to talk nicely to them? Have you heard this? Someone's shaking their head. Well, I've done some research uh, on the internet. And I found a blog by a homeschool mum with some real science on it, right? Some serious science. Now, the story goes, the story goes, uh, in the homeschooling thing, they were doing a bit of social studies, um, and they came across this story of an island nation of people, and I don't have any information other than the blog, and this is what they did. The island nation, to settle the island, what they would do is they would walk into the forest, and they would curse the trees. The trees, over time, would die, they would, then, they'd, then they'd be able to expand their plantings into the forest, right? I don't know why they didn't cut the trees down, but they chose instead to just curse the trees, just talk to the trees and tell the trees you need to go away. And the trees would, you know, not walk away, but they would die. Walking away, that would be way cooler. That would be a better story. We could change that. The trees just walked away. It was amazing. Uh, anyway, that's what happened. And then so the lady uh, who's in the blog, who I don't know her name, otherwise I'd credit her, obviously, but um, uh, she decided to set up an experiment with her kids, right? And so here's a picture. The first picture there uh, is um, this is the control bean. I think it's a bean. I believe this is a broad bean because generally speaking, when you do an experiment with a plant in a little cup like that, you use broad beans, right? This is a primary school teacher experience coming out, right? That's the control bean. And what, uh, what they did is they planted three beans. Uh, and uh, on, on the 11th of January, we've got the first control photo. And, the, and this is the control bean. And, and the control bean, they didn't speak to the control bean at all. They didn't talk to him at all. They just left him to his own devices. And uh, you can see he's got, he's got started there, hasn't he? got nicely underway. There's some roots growing down the bottom, if you can't see those, and it's, it's well underway. The next picture, though, uh, interestingly enough, this is the bean that they, they um, obviously, because this bean's doing actually reasonably well still, not quite as well as the control bean. Um, but this one, obviously, this is the one they kept calling stupid because obviously this is an experiment with little kids and that's the worst word you could possibly call somebody, right? Obviously, that was a word that's going around in their family. He called me stupid. Well, let's see what happens when we keep calling this bean stupid, right? So the control bean and stupid bean are doing around about the same. I think the control bean's slightly ahead actually at this stage. But have a look at Love Bean. This is Love Bean. Look at Love Bean. This is the one they said love to all the time. Love. Love. Look at Love Bean. Love Bean's making actually a bit of a uh, progress towards the top of the jar, right? So we can compare them. In this next photograph, there's three jars, and you can compare them. Look, there's the difference between love and stupid a few days later. Uh, you can, if you can't see, love is bursting out the top of the jar. Oh, you've jumped too far ahead. That's the last photo. No. Yeah, you can see that love is jumping out ahead. And then if we go to the next photo, because you've already seen it, have a look at this. At, uh, actually, this point here. Where love was surging ahead and stupid. <laughs> love surging ahead and stupid. At that point, you know, the kids started to freak out and said, We're not talking to the beans anymore. 
they like it was like too scary for them because they could see the impact. And so now you can see love is well underway. The control beam's doing okay uh, in the middle. And poor old stupid hasn't made it out of the top of the cup. Now, obviously, this is not a science experiment conducted in a recognized laboratory. It hasn't been peer-reviewed, but it's still pretty compelling when you think about the power of our words, the power of how we talk, right? And it actually makes sense to us if we're Christians. This actually makes sense. We're not, I'm not even surprised that this has happened to the beans, right? Because we are created in the image of God. And if there's anything we know about God, God's voice is the central focus of his power. It's the point at which he breaks through into certain things is his voice. Have a look at Genesis chapter 1 with me. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, right? And it says this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's just the greatest start to any story, right? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then look what it says. It says, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered all across the deep waters. So it wasn't like what we know the earth to be today. It wasn't like a finished product. God creates this thing that is out of shape or shapeless, it's void or it's empty, and then darkness is covering over all of the waters, right? There's water and dark and empty and messy, right? And then the Spirit of God, though, hovers across the water. So God's Spirit hovers across this space that God creates, and then it just simply says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Then evening and morning passed and marked the first day. This is the first day of the world, according to Scripture. And it begins with God creating something that was a shambles. I don't think I've noticed it that often, really, when I've read that passage, that what God first created wasn't something that he celebrated. It wasn't even what he wanted. It was just the beginning. In the beginning, he creates, and it's messy, and it's dark, and it's empty. And then what does God do? God looks at the emptiness, and he thinks, wow, it's so empty. And then God looks at the darkness, and he thinks, wow, it's so dark. And then he looks at the shapeless messiness and thinks, wow, it's so shapeless and messy. And then the Spirit of God's hovering over the waters, right? And then God says, let there be light. And if you read through the rest of the chapter, God just begins saying things and things happen. He speaks shape and definition. He speaks life and multiple life and increasing life from plants and to animals to human life. God speaks and shapes things with his voice into this empty, dark void. God speaks and everything changes from dark, empty, and shapeless to light, bright, and life-giving, and powerful. And God says at the end, it's very, very good. And he blesses it, right? The challenge is this. Right throughout our life, we have certain days where we wake up dark, just a little dark, right? We wake up a little empty. Anyone waking up a little empty? And how many people actually get a little bit out of shape by Wednesday, by, by, by Monday, how many people ever, ever just felt not so much physically out of shape, but emotionally just out of shape? You ever heard yourself say something or you react to something the kids have done and you just think that was just out of weirdness? That was just stupid. And the kid looks at you like, well, you're crazy. And you look at you think, yeah, well, that's a pretty reasonable assessment. 
right? You just get a show of hands. Have you know what it feels? It feels like it's dark, it's empty, it's void, right? Now, here's the thing we can do. I think in those moments where things are dark, where things are empty, where things are void, we need to think about how God did it. We're created in the image of God, and the power of God lives within us, right? How are we going to speak to the darkness, the emptiness, the void, right? Because God, God, God looked at the darkness, and He didn't say, it's dark. It's so dark, I can't believe it's dark, right? And He didn't say, oh, no, it's not dark, it's not dark, it's not dark at all. No, it's not dark. No, everything's good, it's not dark, no, it's not dark. God did, when God looked at the emptiness, He didn't just say, oh, it's so empty. Oh, I thought it would be full. I thought when I created the world, it would be full. Oh, so empty. And He didn't look at the emptiness and go, no, it's not empty. That's full. That's actually full. Right? And He didn't look at the shapelessness and just go, oh, oh it's so out of shape. Or like, what I tend to do is when I look at things out of shape, I just think, well, that's just the way it is. That's just, that's just, I'm just, I'm just saying it like it is. I'm just being really me. I'm just keeping it real, right? How many people do that? Like, oh, I'm just keeping it real. No, you're actually, you might be keeping it, that might be really you, but it's really ugly. It's really out of shape. But so often what we do is we either just speak what is there and just get upset about it, or we pretend that what is there is really good. Oh, no, that's not dark at all. It's not dark at all. Why do you keep bumping into things then? Well, no, it's not dark at all. Instead of that, God looks at what's there and then acknowledges the reality of what's there and then speaks into it what he wants, what he's believed, what God sees in vision, what God sees in heart, what God his plan always was. And the challenge for us is to understand that life and death are in the power of our tongue. That's what the Proverbs says. It's on the next slide. In Proverbs 18, 21. It's the power of words. The tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Isn't that there's some classic biblical words in there, aren't there? Some reaping. How do you reckon that's a great Bible word? Reaping. And how, what about consequences? Do you know, I reckon... Here's the deal. You will and I will reap the consequences of our tongue. Right? Now, that's only a negative when we think of the fact that death is in the power of our tongue. Just like we saw a little poor old stupid bean. Right? Poor old stupid bean was reaping the consequence of death because of the power of the tongues of those little kids when they're talking to the beans. Right? Now, the reality is this in life, we can read a scripture like this, and I, when I read that one, because of who I am, someone who talks a lot, swears a lot, all that sort of stuff, tells bad jokes, I think, wow, I really need to think about how I talk because I'm going to reap death in my life, right? But you're only understanding half of the proverb. It doesn't say death is in the power of the tongue, so shut up, don't talk. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue. So this isn't necessarily a proverb about judgment or punishment or consequences of evil. This is a proverb that says, hey, this is how it is. Your words will shape your whole world. Choose what words you say, and you'll have the world that you want to live in. You can shape the sort of world you want to live in. It's looking at if, uh, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that picture where we can see there's a shape to the whole world simply by how God talks, Right? Are you with me so far? You're being very quiet. I'm assuming that because you're, you're I'm assuming that quiet because you're thinking deeply. You're yeah. You're just you're, you're you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. 
I always say you're so inspired, you just don't know what to say. You're just like, oh, I'm so inspired by this message. It is truly the greatest sermon ever preached in English or any other language. Okay, brace yourself, brace yourself. We're going to read James, okay? You don't do this faint-heartedly. You need to cross yourself before you read the book of James. Okay, are we ready? The book of James. This is James chapter 1. How many of you know that James was Jesus' uh, younger brother or half-brother? Right, he was the oldest of the next bunch of kids that Joseph and Mary had after um, Jesus was born. Right, and James didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. How many of you know that that's one of those things? If your older brother is resurrected from the dead, he's been telling you he is God all along. You said it like. Maybe there's something in it, right? Uh, and James was a significant leader in the church in Jerusalem. The other apostles that you know, the names of Peter and all those others, they spread out across the world. And James was left carrying the can in Jerusalem a lot of the time. He ultimately was martyred in Jerusalem, but was a tough, tough dude. When you read the book of James, you can't read the book of James without matching it with Matthew, the book of Matthew, which is Jesus' teaching. What the book of James is, is the stuff that James used to teach based on what he could remember that Jesus had said, right? So when, when we read this, it's important that you match this with Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It says this, Indeed, this is one of those statements that the Bible says all the time. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. <laughs> right? Don't you love that? I love that about the Bible. This is the Apostle James. He was called Camel Knees. It was his nickname, Camel Knees. Uh, you know, anyone want that as a nickname? It's Actually, no one in church has got that nickname yet. Uh, yeah, Isaac Camel Knees. Camel Knees Sutherland. Um, he was called Camel Knees because he used to pray for so long a day. He had these massive calloused knees, uh, right? Uh, he was, at one point, he was thrown off the highest point of the temple. That's how they choose to martyr, chose to martyr him. And there was some reports say that he survived the first fall. They carried him back up and threw him down again, right? Uh, that's one of those things that may or may not have happened. But uh, he says this, we all make many mistakes, I love it when you read the Bible, the people writing the Bible, James, and we can read it, and, and Paul's writing as well. The, they, the, the people writing the Bible were just people like you and I. We all make many mistakes, right? So we're all, here we are, we're all with James in the same boat. We all make many mistakes. And he goes on and says, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That's why this is critical. That's why I'm saying this is something that can change your life. If you can control your tongue, you can control yourself in every other way. Because the way you speak is going to shape all of the actions of your life. The way you speak is going to change shape how you think. The way you speak is going to shape how you feel. If you can control your tongue, you're going to control the whole flow of your life, right? How many people are excited about controlling the flow of their life, right? If we can control the flow of our life, we can make decisions that lead us into blessing, lead us into fullness, lead us into life and light, right? We can see things change, right? He goes on and explains that we can make a, a large horse. This is obviously for me, I can't do this, but human beings can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of the small bit that's in the horse's mouth, right? And then a tiny rudder on a huge ship will turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. So the pilot moves the rudder, and the rudder moves the ship. It's quite a simple picture. And even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes these grand speeches. So the tongue is this tiny thing in our body that shapes the direction of our whole life, right? A tiny spark, though, now it's getting interesting, a tiny spark can set a forest on fire. 
And among all the parts of the body, check this out, the tongue is a flame of fire. Then it goes on. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Like I said, you don't read James on an empty stomach, right? This is a picture about the power of our tongue. Right? He's emphasizing here the power of our tongue to direct our life and the power of our tongue to set things on fire for destruction. Right, But the reality is that life and death are in the power of the tongue. If we can turn our life to destruction by the way we talk, we can just as easily turn our life towards light and towards blessing. Amen? Mark chapter 11 uh, says this, right? So if the tongue is our biggest challenge, the tongue is also our biggest opportunity, Right? I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So if the tongue is our biggest challenge, it's also our biggest opportunity to change things where we can speak to a mountain and it'll be lifted up and thrown into the sea. What's the biggest mountain in your life? What's the biggest obstacle? What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest diversion? What's the biggest problem that you face in your life? Because if you start to speak to it, the way you speak to it, you can see it lifted up and thrown into the sea, right? That's our greatest opportunity. Do you know, interestingly, when Jesus says this about the mountain, in some of the Gospels, it puts it in the, an interesting context. Because, you know, the hyper-faith Christians among us would think, wow, I'm going to speak to the, my, my million dollars of credit card, personal credit card debt, and I'm going to have it cast into the sea, right? Now, if you that, do it. Go for it. If, you need, if you've got faith like that, pray like that, right? I'm with you. I'm believing, right? But the, really, the context that he's saying this, Jesus, is a much bigger problem than that. He's speaking about the unforgiveness we might hold towards another person. How do you know that's a mountain, right? And if we can speak to a mountain like that, the unforgiveness that we have towards people who have hurt us or who have offended us, if we can see a mountain like that shifted, we can see anything shifted. Amen? But he did say, Jesus did say, we have to speak to the mountain. It doesn't say if you think at a mountain, if you hope at a mountain. It doesn't say if you kick the mountain. Uh, if, if we speak to the mountain, if we open our mouth, the power of the, how we talk is going to change things, right? The other thing is this. It's our biggest challenge. It's our biggest opportunity, and it's our biggest introduction is how we talk. In Psalm chapter 100, it says this, that we enter into God's gates with thanksgiving, and we come into His courts with praise. Have we got Psalm 100? It's verse 4. For we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. If the way we talk can bring us into the presence of God, the way we talk is our most powerful, one of our most powerful things that will shape and change the realities of our life. If we can talk our way into God's presence, we can also talk our way out of it. Have you ever been praying for opportunities to open up that you'd be able to go from one space into another space? One of the things that you need to look at and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your world is how are you talking? Because how you're talking will determine your ability to enter into things. Right? It really will affect your ability to enter in. Right? 
If you know me well, you'll know this, that I've got a phenomenal ability to describe and talk about a new, great, awesome space that we could enter into. Right? It's one of my great gifts. But I've also, I've also got the equally possible, or equally powerful gift of describing where we are in such a way that we all feel terrible. Right? The reality is it's, a, it's life and death is in the power of our tongue. It's, it's, it's bringing us into the presence of God. It's drawing us down to hell simply by how we talk about how we describe a situation and a circumstance. Not the circumstance. It's not your circumstances that are bringing you down. It's how you talk about it is one of the critical things. Because how you talk about it is, how, is what you're telling yourself about the circumstance. It becomes the truth. It becomes your reality, how you talk about it, not the things that are happening to you. Amen? Who's ready for a Bible story? I've got a cool Bible picture. Check this Bible picture out. You'll like it. Ta-da! Ta-da! Yeah, I've noticed this. If you're blowing the trumpets in a Bible picture, you have to point them up like that. ba ba there you go. And then if, if, if God does a miracle, someone has to be standing there like this. I believe that's Joshua there in the red looking sharp with his sword. Uh, this is the story of, 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 of the walls of Jericho. Now, the story of the battle of Jericho is one of the great stories in the Bible. It's one of the great victories that the Israelites, the children of Israel found, right? It's one of the, it's, 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 it's awesome, it's significant, it's dramatic, it's powerful, it's miraculous. There's great leadership, there's great, uh, a great team environment, they all get on board. It's this miracle God speaks to them. Jesus appears at the start of the story and has a conversation with Joshua. But it, it's so much more significant than just the story. That city Jericho, they needed to defeat Jericho or then the whole rest of the promised land was not going to open up. Like geographically and strategically, military-wise, they crossed the river at Jericho. They needed to defeat Jericho. And from there, they could split the nation and they could actually inhabit that place, right? They needed to dominate that city or else forever that city would dominate them, right? It's the first thing. Moses is dead. Joshua picks up the leadership of this whole nation, Three million people or so, and we're going to invade. We're going to cross this this river. And then there's this massive miracle, which Jono was talking about uh, last week. Yeah, wow. We all, this wasn't even planned. Don't tell them. They'll think we're onto it. They are. So they cross the river. They get to the other side, um, and then Joshua's there looking at this, looking at the the the. the city. They've, they've had these battles in the wilderness where they've been fighting other camel tent dwelling, camel riding type folks in the desert. Now there's this walled city, right? And they really are like, we can get like, this is this, like the level of the weaponry and stuff like that, that you see in this photograph. That's an overstatement, right? They, were, they escaped from Israel, Egypt as slaves. And then since then, they've just been wandering around in the desert, right? They didn't, they, he didn't have a red jacket, I'm sure. I just guarantee you, he didn't have a red jacket like that, right? They just, they just, they come out of the desert. There's this walled city they're going to take down. Uh, and then Joshua has this conversation with the army, with the, lead, the commander of the Lord's army, where Jesus appears to Joshua. Joshua says, are you on our side? And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm not on anyone's side. Like, I'm just doing my own thing here. You can join me in it or else, or, or not, right? And so jump to the next scripture. Um, and, and this is... This is what Jesus says. He says, look, he says, look at the city. 
I've given you Jericho. I've given its king and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town. Check this out. It's a great, great solution. March around the town once a day for six days. These are the instructions. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. We've seen them in the picture. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, right? With the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priest gives one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town, right? Obviously, obviously this is just the natural way that you would take over a city. Just normal, isn't it? This is how you do it. You just walk around. Do you know what I mean? So like if you have a financial problem, you just get your visa bills, you pop them on the lounge room floor there. Find a ram somewhere, kill it, take the horns, hollow the horns out, make a horn. Yeah, ram's horn just goes, if you haven't got a ram's horn, you can just make the noise yourself. It just goes like this. Scariest thing ever is when someone brings one to church and fires it up in the back row while while you're worshiping. You're just like. Anyway, you can make the noise yourself, so just, you just walk around it, walk around the visa bill. Right. Do you know, that's not really, this is not really a strategy in terms of the practicalities. What it is is God told him to do something. They do this. And Joshua just decides to do it, right? We know if you've read the story, we know at the end of the story, they win. They actually do. They take over the whole city by following this plan that Jesus gave them. But I want you to notice something in this next slide. The next slide is the same sort of instructions, but that's the instructions God gave Joshua. Now, these are the instructions Joshua gives to the people, right? So Joshua says the same thing. We're going to walk around seven times, the seven priests and the Ark of the Covenant, the ram's horns. And when we're on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times, right? And then they're going to blow a long trail. But then he just adds this thing. Don't shout till the seventh day. God didn't say that. God just said on the seventh day, shout. But then he says this, don't shout. And then Joshua's like this, don't even talk. Shut your faces is what he says. Now, please understand this really carefully. Jesus didn't tell them not to talk. Joshua did, right? Because Joshua had been walking with them for 40 years around around the wilderness. Jesus hadn't. Joshua's like, I know, the, I know these people. He says, don't even talk. We're going to walk for seven days, and you guys are going to keep quiet. You're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to say anything at all until I tell you to shout. Then you're allowed to shout praise. Like, so you can shout praises to God, but apart from that, just walk. Just walk. We're gonna, we're gonna, we've got this word from God, and we're going to be obedient, and we're going to walk. And we're not going to say anything. And then when we get to the end of following, when we've done everything God said, then we're going to shout because he told us to. So they all, what they did is they said, we're going to obey and we're going to praise and nothing else is going to come out of our mouth. We're going to walk out what God's told us to do, and we're going to praise God. So rather than taking your visa bill and putting it on the floor and marching around it and then blowing a ram's horn, what you need to do is you need to get a word from God about your finances. And then you need to obey 
the word from God about your finances. You might find that word from God in the Bible. You might find it on sorted.org.nz, right? Either way, God can speak to you about your finances, right? And you need to bring the same faith Joshua did, and you say together with your husband or with your wife, your partner, you say, we are going to walk this out, and we're not going to say anything other than what God told us to say. And when we get to the end, we're going to praise God. So we're going to walk around our debts, and then we're going to praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to do what God says. We're going, to, we're going to follow our budget this week, and then we're going to praise God. We're going to follow our budget next week, and then we're going to praise God. Right? What is Josh, what's Joshua getting at when he tells them not to say anything at all? Is, God, is Joshua just adding to what God said? Is he some sort of heretic? No, he just knows that once we get this bunch of Israelites walking, after an hour, they're going to be upset with the whole process. Oh, I can't believe Joshua told us to do this. Why? Because everything Moses ever told them to do, they moaned about as well. Right through the wilderness, they moaned and they went and they complained. I can't believe God broke us out of Egypt. They were complaining about the miracles of God a day after they happened. You know, we had this thing in our leadership team in this church where we were praying for a miracle. It happened, and we were all like this. We all sat around the room like this. Oh, okay. Why? Because we're stupid. Right? Just look at the person next to you and say, stop being a New Zealander. When God does a miracle, it's inappropriate to just go, oh, okay. When God does a miracle, when we, God gives us a word and we follow it through and then we see a result, that's our moment to shout. Wow! That's our moment to praise God. Oh, okay. We've been praying and praying. All the schools said, no, you can't. Two schools booked on, on last week. And people were like, oh, okay. No, no, come on, God's at work, right? Let's obey, let's walk, and let's praise, and let's leave out all the other stuff in the middle where we, where we generalize, where we speculate, where we think about, where we wonder why, where we strategize, when we just keep it real, brother, when we just be honest and say how we really feel. No, let's leave all of that out. Let's walk out the Word of God. If we haven't got a Word of God, let's wait by the river till we get one. We'll wait till we get a Word from God. Let's walk out the Word of God, and when we see it happen, we'll praise. Well, let's just keep setting up here in Wellington High School or Wellington Girls or wherever we happen to set up. Let's keep setting up. Let's keep putting out chairs. Let's keep inviting our friends. Let's keep praying for people. And let, until we see a room full of people praising Jesus and then flowing out into our city and turning the world upside down. Let's just keep walking it out and keep praising. And let's leave out the bit in the middle where we go, oh, I wonder really, is this the right sort of venue? I don't know. Is the temperature right? Let's come on. Let's get the temperature right. But let's keep walking and praising. Amen. Dave, I say, don't even talk. Everyone say, shut your face. I've got a quote here from my mum. This is a quote from my mum uh, and probably from your mum and everyone else's mum. If you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Amen. How many people know that that's very hard? Do you know, would you have a better marriage if you managed to at least just be aware of this? If, 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 you, if your husband had that tattooed across his forehead, that would help you, eh? If you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> Do you know what I find in an argument? I found in an argument this is not something you should say to somebody else when they're upset. Uh, but come on, this is something we need to say to ourselves. Uh, one of my friends, Kenneth Chin, Pastor Kenneth Chin, leads an awesome church in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And um, they, have a, they have a little tagline in the church, you know, is it that time already? Jack boy. Jack, are you in charge of time? 
I asked you to slow the whole world down so that I had time for that. Yeah, carry on, carry on. <laughs> so it's not Jack's fault. It isn't. It isn't. Okay, moving on. Forget about Kenneth Chin. Oh, anyway, the, the church is called Axe Church, and they have this tagline, Always Positive, which is cool. It's a cool tagline. But he, he says it's terrible, though, because every time he's preaching, he catches himself saying, actually saying negative things. And actually, to, 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 you can always, he, he has this thing, you can always say it positively. Whatever you just said, if you took the time, you could say that positively. If you slowed it down, so when the youth, he's got one of his friends, his, my friend is his youth pastor. Every time he preaches, Pastor Kenneth will pull out three or four things he said. And he said, if you'd prepared better, you could have said that positively. And you could have said that positively. And you could have said that positively. You just have to think it through, turn it around and say, this is how we're moving forward. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. This is our opportunity to shape our whole future. It's not our opportunity to feel bad about how we talk. It's our opportunity to say, God, I want to rechange how I talk so I can reshape my future. Are you ready? These are the most brutal PowerPoint slides I've ever prepared. Are you ready? This one's right between your eyes. Do you need to change how you are speaking to your kids? To your partner? To your parents? That's for you, Maddie. To your boss? (laughs) And Josh, Jaden, Isaac? Do you need to change how you speak about your church? Or your e-group? Or your e-team? Are you ready? Is that, was that brutal enough? That was right between the eyes. Now this is the next one. Yeah, this is in your face now. Uh, do you need to change how you're speaking about your kids? Or about your partner? Or about your parents, your boss, your church, your e-group, your e-team, or your city, or your nation? Okay, now are you ready for the next one? This is... There was, we had, uh, I think, I'll tell the right between the eyes, in your face. This one is right to the heart. Do you need to change how you are speaking about yourself and your world? How do you speak about you and how do you speak about your life? It would be a phenomenally terrifying thing to just record everything you said for a day or a week. And then have that, someone like Duke will go through and analyze it. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, Emma could go through word by word, and yeah. But if, if you just if you just recorded everything you said and heard it back, I wonder what you think. You, I think you'd agree you'd have to change the way you talk about yourself. Do you need to change how you're talking to yourself and your inner world? Have just a comparison. Um, if we compare Moses and Joshua. There's this crazy, crazy story where God tells Moses to speak to a rock and that water would come out. Now, previously, God had said to Moses to strike the rock with a stick and then water would come out, and it did. And then later on, God says to Moses to speak to a rock and then water would come out. This is going to be, you need to catch catch this because this is the revelation from God for this message. God tells Moses to speak to the rock and the water would come out. Instead, Moses strikes the rock and is judged by God. Instead of obeying and speaking, Moses takes, I'm just going to fix it. I'm just going to fix it. 
right? Because of his frustration or whatever, he's, he's, I'm just going to take these actions. Where God says, no, just, ha- just speak to the rock. Allow something inside of you to speak to the circumstance and situation rather than thinking, I'm just going to make it. I'm just going to fix it. I just need to get a better job and make more money. Do you know you just don't? You need to speak to your realities differently and see a transformation and a change. So Moses and, and, and his leadership, they complained in the wilderness. Do, do you want to jump that next slide? Right. They, they complained in the wilderness and they had snakes, plagues, they got lost, they were hungry, they were angry, and at times the ground opened up and swallowed them. Because literally because of how they talked about where they were at. In Jericho, they were instructed to shut their mouths to everything except praise. The only thing they were allowed to do was praise, right? And then they walked and walked and walked in silence. They obey and then they praise, and the walls fall down and they have victory. The reality is we can take that comparison and we think, man, what do we do now? I've got a great slide for that. There we go. How does this work, right? How does it work? Because we've got to change how we talk if we're going to have different results and a different life. We've got to change how we talk, right? Problem is, we've all been talking like this for years, right? Mark McNichol hasn't lived in Southland for a generation. He still rolls his R's, right? How do we change how we talk? How do we change our accent? Do we just put on a fake accent? Just watch a lot of Disney, Disney Junior, and start talking like an American? <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Well, there you go. That's the solution. So obviously go, oh, no, have a look at this next scripture. This is Matthew, right? Like I said, you've got to read James with Matthew. And Jesus says this, you brood of snakes. How could evil people like you Sorry, evil men, let's keep it real. Evil men, like you, speak what is good and right. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So here's the problem. However you speak is going to shape your future and your reality. Here's the challenge. You're going to speak. Ultimately, you'll speak what's in your heart. I can remember I nearly crashed the car one day. I was driving with my sister. I nearly crashed the car, which is... And I said one of those words you say when you nearly crash the car. You know, I was like, oh, hallelujah, something like that. Praise be Jesus for saving us this mighty day. Uh, no, I said a swear word, and I had to believe. And uh, I said, oh, I was like, oh, it was a bit awkward. My sister sort of, she's really holy. And uh, she's, you know, in, the, in life there's good people, and there's people like me. She's one of the good people. Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, you know, and, uh, and she's just like, oh, no, it makes sense. You know, whenever you squeeze, whatever's inside comes out. <laughs> you know, if anyone got a sister like that, you're just like, oh, so wise. But how do you change your heart? Have you tried changing your heart recently? Because the worst thing you could do is to leave the room today and think, I'm going to change how I talk. One that you could say, I'm going to talk less. That's going to give me a little bit of a chance. I'm going to be aware of what's going on in my, out of my mouth. But you can't, you can't fix it here. And you can't, you can't keep your sermon going while you're holding your tongue either. You can't fix it at the, tongue, at the point of your tongue. You can only fix it here. And do you know the funny thing about here? Is you can't fix it. Actually, only Jesus can fix the things that are going on in your heart. 
We can protect our heart. We can make wise choices. But when things are broken in our heart, it's only Jesus that gives us a new heart. He takes out a heart of stone, as Jeremiah says, and puts us in us this new, soft, responsive heart that's willing to follow and obey God. Amen. How many people with me need a change of heart? We need to change how we talk, but we need to change our heart first. Proverbs says we need to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. And it mostly flows out of our mouth. Jesus said if we come to him and believe in him, out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. Those living waters are going to flow out of our mouth. Amen. Why don't you jump to your feet? Let's pray before we finish. We are going to finish in just a few minutes. But if you're like me and you're saying, yeah, I need a transformation of the Holy Spirit. I need a work of God in my world. If that's you, right across the room, why don't you lift your hands? Let's respond to God. Say, yeah, that's me. Here I am, God. I need something shifted in me. I need something changed in me. Maybe you even want to take this 30 seconds before I begin praying. Maybe you want to pray a prayer yourself like this. God, I'm sorry for how I've spoken. Lord, I'm sorry for the moments where I brought destruction into other people's lives. I can see it, and I want to change it. I want a transformation in my voice. I want a transformation in my words. I want a transformation in my life around me. If that's you, just come and pray your own prayer. It's a prayer of repentance where you acknowledge, you just say, God, this is how I've been talking, and I want to change. Maybe you can't put the words, but just feel that feeling in your heart that says, I'm not where I want to be, and I want to shift to a place where, God, you can bless me and work in my world in a bigger way. Can I just allow that to happen? Pray your own prayer. Holy Spirit, we pray work in us. Do something among us. Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence again to come and transform our heart. Lord, well, our work of grace, Lord, we welcome it into our world. Your work of grace that transforms our heart, transforms our life. Lord God, across this whole congregation, Lord God, we, we know, Lord God, we've proven it. We can't follow you without you changing our heart, without you transforming us. It's our desire, Lord God, to walk around, to walk in obedience and to shout praises to you that we'd live lives of breakthrough, lives of influence, lives of purpose. But Lord, we can't do that without you changing our heart, without you transforming us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as you've got your heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps you're here. Maybe you've never made a decision to respond to Jesus. One of the things we like to do just before we close is give you an opportunity just to open your heart to God, acknowledging God as a Savior. And and in a minute, we'll pray a prayer together where we can put the words around the idea that, hey, we need your help, God. We need you to forgive us of our sin. The whole story of Jesus is simply that if we can believe Him, believe that He's Son of God, that his death was a death in our place. And we declare in our mouth that he is our Lord. We're going to follow him. We're going to live our life in honor of him. It says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we're saved, we're saved from the consequences of sin here in life, and we're saved from the consequences of sin in eternity. We're set free and we're allowed, ultimately the big thing is we're allowed a relationship with God a God who created us, a God who loves us when we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior. I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you're here and you're wanting to make a decision where you say, I'm acknowledging Jesus as my Savior and I'm going to begin from today onwards following Him. Maybe you, you've never made that decision before where you, could, you can make that decision today. Perhaps you've made the decision a long time ago. Well, today you can make a recommitment. You can sort of re-decide and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. So I'm just looking around now. If that's you, just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, I want to be, I want to pray that prayer this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. We're all going to pray the prayer together. But I just want to know who's making that decision this morning. Give me a quick wave. Say, that's me. I'm acknowledging Jesus. I'm going to choose to follow him. 
I'm just looking around. If I haven't seen anyone's hand yet, but just give me a wave and then we can pray together. Otherwise, we'll just move on and sing an awesome song of praise before we go. Very cool. Awesome. Who's ready to praise God? Dougalers, who else is ready to praise God? Uh, very, very cool. Awesome. Hey, we're going um, to we're gonna sing a song of praise, and then there's going to be morning tea. Uh, how many people in the e-group, you know, in e-group, this is something you could talk about. You could talk about how does this work. It's a pretty good thing. To, it's, it's one of those things that actually takes a few conversations and probably as well with something that you need friends and church to just to go, excuse me, uh, Jordan, I just noticed, you know, you preached a sermon last week about talking and then you just said, uh, you know, we actually, you know, one, it's one thing to think about actually, we need a change in habits, which takes a bit of time, you need friends around to do that, right? And if, you, if you're not in an e-group, e-groups are actually open to everyone, you're welcome to be a part of one, there's a bunch of different ones happening different times, different places around the city, and uh, Tim and the guys in the hosting team have got all the details about it, um, so you can talk to them or ask chat with me afterwards and I'll introduce you to someone who is part of a group and you can go along with them. Is that cool? Very, very good. Don't forget, John, I said we've got to be praying all week for Revolution Tour and the teams. And then Wednesday night in the Web Street and Saturday night here. Very cool. Thank you, guys. Let's sing a song and then let's enjoy morning tea.